Hey, Hebrews chapter 10. We're making it through this book, rounding it up. So good to be with you. As we finish up chapter 10 today, we're going to be finishing up a section of this wonderful book that we've been working on for a few weeks, and that is a section of, in chapters, maybe the last three or four chapters, where we've been putting up uh, the old covenant, it really the, the important things of Judaism, their priests, their holy people, um, their sacrificial system, and all of that, and we've been putting it up against Jesus Christ and his new covenant that he ushered in with his blood, and we've just been comparing them week after week, right? Comparing old with new. And sitting on this side of the cross, this side of, of time, right, we can appreciate who's better, right? It's like the, when the optometrist goes, which one's better, one or two, right? It's easy sometimes, <laughs> right? Jesus is better, amen? We've seen that over the last few weeks. And I, we're going to be winding that section up tonight. We're also going to be, um, the writer's kind of pushing up into our, a new section, and that is, if Jesus is better and far superior to the old system, right? What should our response be? What should it be? And we're going to get into that. It starts with faith, and I won't give it away, but the faith chapter's up next week. I don't know who has that, but that's a lucky guy that got that, that draw. Yeah. Right? So that's where we're heading. Let's finish up, though, the comparison, old, right, with its old, the law, right? The sacrificial system run by priests with the new system, the new covenant, right? That the Holy Spirit wrote on our hearts and our minds, ushered in by the very blood of Jesus Christ. Are you ready to get going on this chapter 10. It's a lot of a reminder, but it's a good reminder. Let's check it out. Verse ten, uh, chapter 10, verse 1, and I've entitled these first four verses, Shadows Are Not Reality. Let's check it out. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the, the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have been ceased to be offered since the worshiper, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Amen? Here's what I know about shadows is they aren't reality, right? They are only, they don't have any power in and of themselves. They just project that which is reality, right? If you're a big person, you cast a big shadow. If you're a little person, you cast a little shadow, right? You don't have to be scared of your shadows because they have no power in and of themselves. And that's what the law was. Here's the argument. The law never dealt with the heart of sin, it never dealt with a guilty conscience. We covered this last week. It never really got to the heart of the matter. The worshiper and the, the guy that was getting worked on by the priest never got removed from guilt. He just got cleansed temporarily. And what he's saying here is if the shadow was that good and that important, 
and it, and, it, and it was a once-for-all thing like Jesus was, why did they have to keep doing it? That's the argument. It wasn't a once-for-all thing. They had to keep doing it, and it brought the worshiper into this cycle of guilt and shame that they would sin again, they would go to the temple, they would get clean, they'd feel good about themselves until they realized that they really didn't get cleaned because it never dealt with the, 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 the heart of the matter, the guilty condemnation that sin brings humanity. It never dealt with that. It was never designed to deal with that. It was designed, if you caught it, to remind us of sin. Those Jews, when they did that, you're in and you're out, seeing that vicious cycle of guilt and condemnations, it was supposed to, okay, not purify them eternally and once and for all, like Jesus's blood. It was, it was, it was designed to drive them towards reality. That's why it was a shadow. It was to drive them that they do need a savior that would cleanse deep, that would take our hearts that are black and turn them white through the crimson flow of the blood of Jesus, right? That's the idea. Here's what I know about uh, shadows. Follow them back. That's what the writer's saying. Follow that shadow back. And there you will see Jesus Christ and his perfect blood who had to come on the scene, as we'll see next, to take care of this. And that's where we pick it up here. If you look at verse 5, I like the word consequently, when Christ had to come, right? So because the law never dealt once and for all with sin, they had to keep doing it. Because of that, you should have seen a Savior that the law was pointing towards. Jesus had to come on the scene. Let's check it out. Verse 5, consequently... When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the scroll of the book. Quoting from Psalm chapter 40. When he, uh, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and bird offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Jesus, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first order, the law, to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Hey, this is Christ's sacrifice once and for all. Jesus Christ had to come on the scene to quench the guilty conscience that sin is invading humanity with at this point. He had to come on the scene. So if the law was the shadow, Jesus was the reality, right? I like that. He came to fulfill the law. That's what the writer wants these Jewish believers who were Christians that were sneaking back into their blankie and going back and, and, and observing the law when they didn't have to. It's like, listen, those are shadows. Those aren't realities. Here's the reality, and you know this. The reality is Jesus Christ came once and for all to clean your conscience. Did you hear me? Jesus one time, once and for all, sacrifice on the cross with his precious blood cleaned the whole world's sin. 
He was the satisfaction, if you will, for it all. Amen? <laughs> he came to do the Father's will. He was about his Father's business. Amen? And what this little passage talks about is a son, an eternal son, Jesus Christ, who was willing to submit to the Father's will and be the sacrifice once and for all. And I don't know about you, but I am really thankful that he was willing to do the cross, that it was not words, it wasn't good intentions. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, left throne in glory and came down and shared and suffered by our side. He tasted humanity for you and I. Is that beautiful? I'm thankful he did that. I'm thankful in the end when it was hard for the God-man to submit to the Father's will that he did it there in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? It means olive press, where our Lord was pressed. Remember there, he was, mm, he was, he was extremely, extremely grievous, even to the point of death. He was sorrowful. He knew that that cross was coming. He knew it. And it's in those moments that he said, finally, <laughs> right? Thine will be done, not mine. He yielded to the Father's plan. He made a conscious choice from his will to be the one-time sacrifice for the world's sin. I'm so thankful that he did that in you guys. Come on, give me another. Yeah. The last verse said, in that sacrifice, we have been sanctified. We have been set aside, holy and set, set apart to God once and for all. Now listen, that's verse 10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You have been sanctified. Now this, this is a perfect test. This means that something happened when Jesus did his ultimate sacrifice. Something happened. A lot of things happened. One thing happened is that when we received that, it made you perfect in God the Father's eyes. Positionally, spiritually, the way God sees you is perfect because he sees you through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, listen, being sanctified perfectly, positionally, is kind of different than practically, right? We have to work this thing out. But it's worth noting that according to God and his economy, it's done. You're already perfect. I know that's hard to wrap your brain around because you're probably like me, you have a mirror in your house and you see yourself and what you do with your life sometimes and you go, huh, I'm not perfect. This is just saying, listen, in your position, in Jesus Christ, you have been perfectly sanctified. There's not one more thing you can add to make yourself any more righteous or any more worthy to your God. Mm. Now, later we'll see that we are being sanctified practically in our life. It's why we're still here. But it's worth noting. We should live our Christian lives out of victory. I think that's one of the problems with authentic Christians not knowing, listen, you've already, you're already perfect. Just start go acting like it. That's really the key. God already sees you that way. Why not act like that? Man, when I competed, that was, that, that was the freest I ever felt when I competed at a very high level in wrestling was when I had someone tell me once, hey, just go wrestle like you already won. Because really, to me, you're, you're already my champion. 
There's not one thing that can happen out there that changes my mind. That changed everything for me. Then I just wrestled. I didn't care because the people I cared about still loved me. That's, that's, that's what positional sanctification should do for you. Now go act like it. Amen? Finished work of Jesus Christ is next. Let's check it out. Starting in verse 11. It's finished. Amen? Verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which could never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, look what he did. Anybody got it? He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until, they, until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sacrificed, sanctified. Verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Amen. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Man, once and for all, Jesus Christ. Listen, did you see what the priests do daily? If you caught it there in verse 11, they stand daily. They've got a lot of work to do. If you've ever studied the sacrificial system, they're not like, uh, that's a dirty job. They were butchering animals. They were bringing blood. They were changing their clothes. There was a lot of rules and regulations on how they were to administer the law under the old covenant. There was rules. To, and if you didn't follow them, God was not happy. There was order. That's why these Jews are still creeping back. They were habitualized to just rote ritual religiosity. Those guys stand daily again and again, again and again, again and again. They stand because why? Why do they keep doing? Why are they standing? Because the work isn't done, right? The work's not done. So you stand. A few weeks ago, Matt, this was breached, and Pastor Matt talked about his son, remember? Elijah? Elijah, what did he say? Don't sit down until the job is done. Remember that? What a great thing for a dad to teach a son. My dad taught me to work too. He made me like run from stacks of blocks. Just run. What's the difference? I'm running around. You know who runs a lot when they work? Have you ever seen, okay, this isn't a commercial, but have you ever seen Nick Anderson work? I only, I, 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 he did some work with me a few years ago and I, do you guys know him? The giant of a man? Yeah, he's a big man. I'm a really small man, so it's weird when I'm next to him. I'm like, wow, Nick, you're huge. <laughs> Mr. Incredible, I like to call So he runs from machine to he's an, he's an excavator guy. He moves dirt. He has machines. He came out and did some work for us. He's on the excavator, stops it, fills up the dump truck. He gets out of his excavator, and he runs to the dump truck. I'm like, who does that? Who runs? And then he runs back. I'm like, what? Nick, why are you running around? He goes, the work's not done. That's all I needed to know about him. And I'm sure there's a lot of good guys out there that have equipment, but for me, only Nick will do. He's a hard worker. I like that. The point is this. The priest stood because the work wasn't over yet. 
And what he's saying here is if you notice and he compares that to Jesus Christ, what did he do after he offered his sacrifice? Unlike those priests, right? He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and what did he do? He sat down, signifying it is finished. I am done. My once and for all sacrifice is out there for the world to partake of. And now I'm going to sit on a, a place of power and prestige and honor and authority. I'm going to sit here. And it's not that I'm not doing anything. Jesus Christ does something for you. You know that? Not one of us here would be saved today if he didn't have his intercessorial memory. <laughs> Intercessory <laughs> ministry. Right? He lives to keep you saved. Now he's still seated. He's working out of his finished work. But if you look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says this. He is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He lives to intercede for you, right? He advocates for us as he's sitting, right? First John chapter 2, verse 1, remember that? He says, if you sin... I don't want you to, but if you do, John would say, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. An advocate, an inter someone who intercedes for us. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father doing that, but he's sitting still. He's doing it all out of his finished work. Amen? The finished work once for all, Jesus Christ. Amen? So for now, Jesus is sitting. That's what it says. Until his enemies are at his feet. And then let me encourage you guys. It's coming back for us. Jesus Christ is coming back for you and I. And that should be a happy hope in your heart. He's sitting. He's waiting till the last person gets saved. Then we're out of here. And I can't wait for that day. Oh, blessed day. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Is anybody with me? All right. I just want to check. I know it's Wednesday and everybody worked today. It doesn't seem that exciting out there today. I'm going to be strictly honest with you today. I want more energy right in here. You, energy. I love it. The finished work of Jesus Christ. Verse 19. Let's keep working here. Talks about having the full assurance because of this, of our faith. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that is opened for us through the veil or the curtain, that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from on evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Draw near to God through the way that Jesus Christ has made for us. Do you remember in John chapter 14, verse 6, what Jesus said? He said, I, Jesus Christ, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except by me. This is what he's talking about. Part of that, I am the way. Well, what is that way? Well, listen, my flesh, my sacrifice, if you didn't catch it there, my flesh rent that veil. Remember in the gospel accounts when he died, 
Remember what happened? In his last breath, he said, it is finished. And it says there that the veil was rent from top to bottom. The temple veil was rent. Now, come on, to the Jewish mind, this would be awesome. should be awesomely encouraging and mind-shattering. It's like, oh, that's what they were talking about. That's what all those sin sacrifices were pointing at. That's how. It's Jesus. We can get through into the holies of holies now. Amen? You can go right into God's throne room now. Now, listen, there's a lot of privileged positions in this world and the next, and there's none greater than a sinning saint like you and I can come boldly unto the throne of grace. Amen? We can go right through there, not because of what we did or what we didn't do, but because Jesus Christ, through his body, ripped the veil so that you and I can come into the holy holies, not like the priest of old with blood shaking, making sure they had bells on their robes to make sure they were, were alive not stammering and stumbling. Maybe the sacrifice will satisfy you, holy God. Let me put it on the mercy seat. Hopefully I do everything right. You come boldly. You come boldly because that veil has been rent by Jesus Christ himself once for all on the cross. Amen? Boldly. That should inspire us. There are some things in my life that inspire me. The older I get, it's less and less of these things of a world. It just is. Whether it's sports or business or whatever. I'll tell you what inspires me is that. That even me, in all my failures, can go straight to the holy of holies and meet my God with confidence. And when he sees me, he sees the perfection of our Lord Jesus Christ. You come before him with boldness. Amen? That should inspire a response for us. And if you look at that, you can see that response in verses 23 and 25. This is our response. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's our response. Hold fast. Quite literally, hold firmly onto the promises with your hope that they're reality. That's what he's asking you to do. Hold fast. They're real. Grab a hold of them. We grab a hold of a lot of things, don't you think, in this world? Would you grab a hold of the promises that Jesus has given us and secured for us with his blood? Would you grab a hold like you would never let go? That word is an interesting word. Hold fast. Hold firmly. This is what it is. This is when you grab your son who's a wrestler, and I used to be a good wrestler, and you figured out that Oh, he's stronger than I thought. That's still there. Hold firmly. Grab a hold of it with all of your might. Right? That's what he's saying. Hope is amazing. When we take God's promises, we direct our faith at it with our hope. 
Hope is just that favorable and confident expectation of the unseen future. It involves a warm spirit of expectancy. Hope is a beautiful thing. Hope will get you out of your present discouraging daily grind. Hope will do that. It'll lift you into a whole different realm. It takes you from your prisons of life so you can hold those chains high and undone. Hope does that. Hope keeps us keeping on, right? Hope's amazing. Here's my word picture for hope so you don't ever have to remember the definition of it. It's when a pregnant woman puts her car seat in her car. That's hope. The baby's not born yet. The first time my wife did that, what are you doing? The baby's, oh, now I get it. That's why they're the, that's why my wife is my better three quarters, my better half. Oh, yeah, the baby's going to be born. Expectancy, favorable and confident expectation, right? Warm spirit of expectancy. I'm expecting good things. And when we hope on the promises that God has given us, you will surely get them. You will not be disappointed. Amen. Hope's amazing. Did you see what else he does here? Hold, hold fast the confession, the things we're, hope, the hope, things we're hoping for. Hold, hold them without wavering because he who promises faithful. And look at what he says next. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Oh, that's a great word, stir up. You guys know any pot stirrers? That's the word. Maybe a better word, instigator. Any of you parents out there raise a lot of kids? I was one of five. There was one, one instigator in it all, and it was my older brother. He knew how to push everybody's buttons. The scariest words my parents said to me is, hey, we're going out. Vince is in charge. Because <laughs> I knew he was going to push my buttons. And I knew, me, that I was not going to yield. And so it was going to end up with me crumpled on the ground sometimes. And my sister is coming to me going, why did you just, why did you fight back? Why? He pushed my buttons. That's what I used to always say. Why don't you push people's buttons to good works in love? Be an instigator this writer is saying, hey, why don't you guys be instigators of love? Why don't you be instigators of good, wholesome things? Why don't you go out and go push people's buttons? Go find out a way to do that. There's people in here to do that, and it is, there's nothing more encouraging than that. When you come in and you're all beat up from the world, and you come in this place, and someone has that word for you, right? That smile, God forbid that hug for you. <laughs> I got homework for all of you, okay? Because we're all, we're all deprived of hugs during this COVID season. YouTube, it's old, but it's called Free Hugs. You ever see that campaign? We need the human touch. And do the one from Italy. It's the best. Free Hugs Italy. YouTube it. Awesome. Anyways, why don't you guys be instigators of good work and love, right? Love. Stir it up. You know love? Where you put others over self? Even to the point of self-sacrifice, like if it's a fraction, right? Why don't, you, why don't you be the denominator? Let someone else be the numerator for love's sake. Why don't you be involved in good and wholesome things? There's enough trash going on right now. Be involved in good, wholesome things. Stir it up. It's happening in this church. 
I can't even keep up with it. I can't. Whether it's home bridging or the men's ministry or the, what the women are doing in this church, it just blows me away. The youth over there, I went over there a couple weeks ago and I was like, what? It's crazy. Be instigators. That should be a response how, how much we've been giving, I think. Our response should be, number one, stir that up. And did you notice the next one? This might be a, if the governor's listening, sorry. Not neglecting to meet together. As is the habit of some. Listen, I don't know about you guys, but something happens to me when I come in here. Something happens to me. I can't explain it. It's because we're the body of Christ. We need each other. We feed off each other. We aren't complete without each other, right? I said something happens to me when I'm here, but someone happens to me when I'm here. Because we know where two or more are gathered, he's here. And that's what you miss when you neglect meeting together. Can you be a Christian on a mountaintop? Sure. Can you be an effective Christian on a mountaintop by yourself? Probably not. We're an organic being called the body of Christ, the church. We should not neglect to meet together. And so as long as there's power in my opinion or my way of thinking, I think we should be here together. Amen? Amen. I'm glad you guys are here. You guys do a lot for me personally. Thank you. We need each other. We should pursue community. And this place does that well. Now, that was the good part of this chapter. Wait till you hear these next verses. I'm not going to lie to you. They were pretty sobering to me. Let me read them to you. It's a warning, okay? I was taken aback. It got a little out of hand. Listen, okay? Verse 18, uh, no, hang on, 26. Sorry, okay, we're, we're doing good. 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth... There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, for a, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will come consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant? by which he has sacrificed and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That kind of got, that kind of got out of hand quickly, don't you think? Wow. That's a pretty stern warning. Was it not? There were some harsh words in there. I want to remind you who this book was written to. It was written to Hebrew Christians who had their minds and hearts enlightened by the Holy Spirit to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ through grace. They were saved. These were Hebrew Christians. Okay, but they were sliding back down into legalism. 
They had left the truth. The people he's speaking to in this section, out of this group of believers, they have left the truth. They had turned their backs on the New Testament truth that Jesus Christ brought them through his precious blood. They counted it of no significance, and they went back and tried to add to it by sacrificing animals again. And the writer is saying, listen, why are you falling from the standard of grace? You have this lifestyle available. You're Christian over here. Why are you acting like a Jew? That system's dead and gone. They were so far gone that he said this, there's no longer a sacrifice for your sins anymore. He didn't mean they couldn't repent and get back right with the Lord. What he's saying is, if you're going to stay in Judaism, good luck. That system's dead. That does nothing, nothing for your sins. You're still condemned in that. What are you doing? (laughs) It says here that they were willing or... Uh, sinning willingly and deliberately, consciously and rebelliously, consistently turning their back on New New Testament grace is what they were doing. And he has some harsh words for them. Whatever that means, deliberately, sinful, regularly. If you ever wonder if you fit into this category of judgment and chastisement, because I'm going to promise you something right now. If you're a real child of God, when you're out of order, God will spank you. He'll spank you. Anybody been spanked by God? I have been spanked by God. And I'm telling you, it's nothing that you want to fall into. All of verse 31. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the Lord. Amen? Who he loves, he will train. He will chastise. He'll bring you back around. He loves you that much. Whatever it is, they did three things if you caught them there. And I'm going to highlight them for you just to make sure we stay out of trouble. (laughs) Right? It's not that these guys lost their salvation or were never saved. I really believe these were saved individuals. Okay? That needed to get back into grace standards. They were being legalists. And they were doing three specific things. And it's a checklist. If we're doing these things, I think God's coming your way. I think he loves you that much. He wants to round you up and bring you back. It's like my dad. When I was heading the wrong way when I was a kid, he'd usually just grab me by the neck and just... With those hands that only a mason could earn, right? Danny, where are you going? (laughs) You're going the wrong way. (laughs) Wow, those hands are strong. (laughs) Yeah. That's what God does. He brings us back around. The first thing, if you caught it, it said, they trampled underfoot the Son of God. That's verse 29. That's the first thing they did. You can meet, it means they spurned Jesus Christ. Has the idea that Jesus Christ's ultimate sacrifice wasn't enough for them. That his grace was not sufficient. They wanted to add something to it. Oh, we're graceful, but... But you have to do the law. I have to participate. I have to add to it or take something from it. Sound familiar? There's people around there today that add and subtract from God's grace, and he's not happy about it. They spurned the Son of God. It's saying, you are not sufficient for me. 
that your grace is not enough. I need more. I need to participate in a way that I want to show myself righteous. That's legalism. That's dangerous territory, amen? Dangerous. We should take heed to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Remember there when he asked God to remove the thorn, right, from his, from his side, his flesh, his infirmity, his physical deformity. He asked God to remove that. And do you remember what God said to him? No, no, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And I love Paul's response. And if you have the same heart of this response of Paul, you don't have to worry about this one. You don't have to worry about spurning Jesus. He said, <laughs> then I'm going to boast in my weakness because I want the power of God on me, <laughs> right? Because his grace is enough, amen? I pray that would be our heart, not this heart, amen? You cannot do that. You are in jeopardy of getting chastised. The second thing they did, if you look at it, said he, they profaned the blood of the covenant. What do you think that means? has the idea of counting the blood of Jesus on par with animal sacrifices. That's what I think it means. That's what they were doing. I have this ultimate blood of Jesus, the new covenant written in my heart and my mind. I've been enlightened to it. God's spirit has shown me it, and, and yet I'm going to go back and get sprinkled with more animal blood. Are you kidding me? That's profanity. That's profaning the blood of the new covenant. They're saying that Jesus' blood was a common thing, right? That it was no big deal. It was no greater than the blood of any of the other bulls and goats. That Jesus' once and for all sacrifice is nothing special. Let me tell you something. That's dangerous territory. If that's your heart, look out. Amen? The last thing it did is, if you see it here, in the same verse, it says, they outraged the spirit of grace. Listen, the Holy Spirit, one of his ministries today and in the same time is to convict us of sin, right? He woos us, he pushes us, he prods us, right? As the minister, right? He's the one that put... The new covenant in our hearts and minds. One of his job is to bring you around. When you're sinning, he brings you around to the truth that you don't got the goods. And what you're doing doesn't measure up. It's missing the mark. It's sin. It ain't right. You need to confess and get back right by the blood of Jesus. That's one of his jobs. Did you know that? That's, that the Holy Spirit does that in us. And I know we all felt that before. It's a needed ministry. Amen. <laughs> Some of these guys were disregarding that and treating this ministry with indifference. And it insulted the Holy Spirit. It insults him. That's his job. And it insults him. And that's dangerous territory. Amen? Those are the three things. It might be a good checklist. Spurning the Son of God, profaning the blood of the covenant, and outraging the Spirit of grace. You might want to check ourselves on those. This willingful sin isn't a mess up here or there. It's okay. We all fall short of the glory of God. It's a consistent, rebellious attitude 
that the blood of Jesus Christ matters none, that he's not enough for me, and that I'm not listening when he convicts me. That's dangerous territory, amen? Amen. 32 through 39, this is our last section, and I believe we're gonna make it. Yes. Here we go. Verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and afflictions, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your own property, since you knew that you yourself had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while. And the coming one will come, and he will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul should have no pleasure in him. Verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and will preserve our souls. Amen? So... It got out of hand real quickly, last section, and it seems like the writer's doing that sandwich, right? That I'm gonna give him the wood and then I'm gonna be nice to him. Nice, wood, nice, right? Compliment sandwich. He's trying to, he's saying, man, I, I just, I, 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 the last section was harsh. I'm gonna try to encourage you guys now, is what he's saying here. And I wanna do that by encouraging you, encouraging us to live by faith. And this is where he's starting to push us into chapter 11, the faith chapter. Don't live off your circumstances, he would say. Live by faith. Endure. Toughen up. Have a little grit. And he reminds them, you've been there before. Check it out. Don't shrink back. You've been there before. He, it's a great reminder. It starts with this word, but recall. Verse 32. It means... Um, Again and again, reconstruct in your mind again and again and again. It's like remembering over and over and over again. The former days when after you were enlightened. Who enlightens the Christian? The Holy Spirit enlightens us, right? He's the one that shows us truth. He's the one that makes the things of Jesus real in our hearts. He's the teacher, Right? He has a teaching ministry. He enlightens. Remember Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18? Enlightens the eyes of our hearts. Our hearts have eyes. It's like light bulb. That's the Holy Spirit. He brings things to us, right? He speaks truth and of Jesus Christ. He said, remember over and over again when you used to be enlightened and you endured hard struggles. Translation, remember when you were spiritual? And you weren't so carnal? Do you remember when the Holy Spirit enlightened you? And you were spiritual. And you were walking. And, and, and you endured hard struggle and suffering. You even encouraged people in prison. He's probably talking about himself. These people visited him when he was in prison in, in Jerusalem. You even visited me and you encouraged me. You were reproached with affliction. People took your stuff. You even had compassion on people who got their stuff taken. Because you knew you had something better in heaven. He's saying this. You were enlightened by the Holy Spirit. That enabled you to have a heavenly perspective. And you endured. 
You let your trials forge endurance in your life. The building grit. He goes on to say, hey, don't throw away your confidence. Verse 35. Don't throw it away. Where's your confidence? Why aren't you holding fast with hope? What happened to you guys? This used to be a real thing. This used to motivate you and inspire you to live a different life. Where'd it go? Don't throw away your confidence. Your endurance is forged out of trials, James chapter 1 would say, right? He's reminding them. When you have a heavenly perspective, that's how you look at it. You've been here before is what he's saying. You guys are being persecuted right now. You're discouraged. You've been here before and you did it by the power of God's spirit is what he's saying. I love the last verse of this chapter and we'll close here. This is what I call, he tells them to get gritty and I love grit as a wrestling coach. Gotta have a little grit, right? Have a little grit. But we are not of those people who shrink back Oh, I love that. I love that. We don't shrink back. We're not destroyed. But we are the, of the people who have faith and preserve souls. That's different. Have a little grit. You've been here before. We don't shrink back. Chad Hansen and I have a little joke. Sometimes when we're ready to go to work, we say, charge, right? Put your sword up. Let's go. Let's do it. We don't shrink back. We're people that have faith, and faith is the game changer. We have God on our side. We have his promises with us. The writer is encouraging us to have faith in Jesus, the once-for-all sacrifice. Jesus is always better than the law. Amen? Always. The law required no faith. That was the point of it. It was driving us to a Savior, and by a faith rest life. Something these Jews had no clue of. They needed a reminder. But now that Jesus is here, place your faith in him. And through it all, he will preserve you. Amen? He will preserve you. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for your people. We're thankful for everything you give us. None more than the once for all sacrifice. The precious blood of Jesus. May we live in that victory today. Be with us. May we be instigators of love and good work. May we go push the buttons of love tonight and good works. May we stir it up in this assembly. In the matchless name of Jesus, amen. Amen, guys. Have a great rest of your week.